From Bureaucracy's Basement to your ears, this is the weekly meeting of the Queen City Improvement Bureau. I am your host, Saul Barley-Tart, and my co-host, Eamon Chairleg, with me as well. Uh, each week, the dedicated staff of the Bureau file reports, make recommendations, and attempt to survive on the water that drips from the boiler pipes in the our, two our open mouths as we sleep on a bed of dot matrix printer paper. Maybe one day we'll escape from the subterranean hell that is this basement, but until that day comes, the city is not going to improve itself. So here we stay, improving things. This meeting is now in session. Hello. Hello. How are you doing? I'm pretty good. I'm, yeah. uh, as I pointed out, I'm, uh, I'm the host or co-host, Saul Barley-Tart. And uh, you're the co-host, Eamon Chairlake. Those are our names for today. Are they? They don't match the names on our name tags, though. I was going to say, because, you know... But they, are, they do just, match the names on our lanyards. Very nice. But, you know, it's weird, because our names on our lanyards and our name tags are misspelled terribly. Yeah. And once we track down the person who misspelled all those names so badly, they're going to take away my label maker privileges for good. Three floors worth of people you're in charge of the labels for. Wow. Total See, chaos. It's I a know, wonder anybody know. gets a paycheck. Uh, you know, I mean, we certainly don't. No. But one day, one day Someday. I feel like, I, f- I feel it in our near future. Uh, so uh, regarding attendance, mm-hmm. um, so if the name, if your name on your name tag isn't uh, Eamon Chairleg, uh, what is it? It's Paul Deshane. Paul Deshane. Okay, that's you. Yeah. Um, and sorry, I can't. I, I, I'm not looking at myself right now. Could you read out the name on my name tag? Yeah, that's okay. It's uh, it says Aiden Morgan. Okay, and that's me. Okay, yeah. so I'll uh, I can live with those names. Uh, so we're both here. Do we have quorum? Mm-hmm. We do not. I'm sorry. We don't. Okay. Well, that's as per usual. But we do have a guest. We do. Hey, yeah. uh, we have Devin Anderson. Hey, Devin. Hi. How are you doing? Um, we wanted to talk to you about some stuff that's going on in the city, but w- how should we, like, what, what's your position? Do you want to, like, do you have a, are you just here as a, as a regular citizen today or? I am here as just a regular citizen. I'm a 67 year old retired woman who's lived in Regina for 30 plus years now. Yeah. That's awesome. Congratulations. <laughs> yeah. you've, made, you've made it to the big <laughs> What is what is the 30th anniversary in Regina net you like do they do you get sent like some anniversary present? Um, I don't know. Maybe we'll get somebody to shovel our sidewalks or something. The next big snowfall or no, something like that. no, that, that, that's that's the 150th anniversary, okay. the sesquicentennial yeah. of living in the city. You get your sidewalk shoveled. Yeah, yep. not for well, free, but for a reduced rate. Yeah, <laughs> you get fewer taxes added to your. Tax rule. <laughs> there we go. Yeah. So, Devin, you were one of the signees of a letter that was sent into um, City Hall last week. Uh, this is related. We've been talking about this off and on uh, since last year, since December. Uh, Dan LeBlanc with uh, Councillor Andrew Stevens and uh, uh, Florence, Florence Stratton, who I almost called Florence Henderson. Um, they uh, they had a they court order was brought against city manager Nikki Anderson 
over getting some housing money put into the budget. Uh, this has led to a whole kerfuffle. Could you give us sort of the the sort of like a condensed version of what the letter was about? Sure. Well, I signed the letter for so many reasons. And um, I think that um, I don't know if you heard Alicia Johnson, who's with Carmichael. She's um, she was also one of the people who signed the letter and actually presented it um, on behalf of the rest of us. And this morning on an interview on a different radio station, um, she stated that feminism that only works for women in power isn't feminism. And I just think that's such a great quote. I couldn't have said it any better. You know, all of this talk about how all of these, this action, this court action is, is sexist is to me just ridiculous. Just because a man disagrees with a woman does not make it a sexist action. You know, it usually just means they disagree and that's all there is to it, you know? Um, and the court action that councillors LeBlanc and Stevens were part of was against the office of the city manager, not Nikki Anderson as an individual person, you know? Um, I know she's named, but that's only because she's the employee that occupies that position. It's actually against the position of city manager. And the council, the mayor, and senior city officials should should understand that distinction. And I think, you know, if the if the city manager genuinely felt there were some issues there that she was being harassed or intimidated, there are all sorts of processes that the city is supposed to have in place according to occupational health and safety to deal with that. And I'm pretty sure one of those processes does not include having a public press council where you make allegations against two elected officials and where they aren't able to refute any of those allegations, you know? So I, I just find it really quite astounding, that whole process. And I think um, to call the action, the original court action sexist is, is, is just silly. And I think it's insulting to so many women who have to deal with sexist actions and remarks on a regular basis, and they have little or no recourse to do anything about it. And, and, I, and I just think that this is clearly an attempt, or at least that's the only reason I can see for it, is an, an attempt to divert our attention away from what are some of the main issues. And, you know, I think you can agree or disagree with the strategy that Councillor LeBlanc and Stevens used when they brought the court action, but they lost. And that should have been the end of it, you know? And if the other council members were still upset about it, then go in camera, hurl insults at each other, call each other names, whatever you want, you know, get it off your chest, act like children, but then stop, put an end to it and come back and act like respectable adults, you know, and um, the mayor just doesn't seem to want to let those actions go. She seems to, from, from my perspective, it appears that she wants to make this, she's making this into a personal attack on them. And by doing so, I think it's diverting our attention away from the very serious issues that this city has to deal with. You know, we've got climate change action, we've got sustainability, we've got homelessness, we've got affordable housing, 
we've got inequality, we've got poverty, the list goes on. Not to mention, you know, the day-to-day operations like potholes and city street clearing and sewer and water repairs. And all we're thinking about our attention is just being diverted to all of this foo-for-ah. Mm-hmm. And, you know, we should have been asking, I think, like, what happened? Like, wh- how, did, how did this motion get so changed? You know, back in June, there was a unanimous motion passed by the city council to have homelessness addressed somehow in the budget um, using a supportive housing model, etc., And what, just three months later in September, when the acting city manager brought the budget update to council, it wasn't included. And so my understanding is that at that time, he was told, include it. And he said, okay, council wants it's included, it'll be included. And then what, two months later, budget comes back, it's not included. So I think, like, what happened? You know, these, these, our, our city employees are professionals. They're not going to just, on a whim, just totally disregard a unanimous motion by council. So why all of a sudden wasn't it included? I, I don't know, but I think we have a right to ask that. Well, and- our, our, our current theory is that uh, Councillor LeBlanc, with his lawyerly ways, tricked the council somehow. This is what I've heard. He tricked the council and so they they all ended up voting for something that they they didn't understand they were voting for. Am I is that am I right, Paul? Is that uh, is that theory been rooted around? Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's uh, his his lizardly lawyer tongue uh, with its uh, its lawyer venom blinded counsel to uh, what was actually going on, right. and they had no idea to what they were agreeing to and what they were going on the CBC the next day to defend. Uh, the decision of, um, yeah. Because they'd never heard of terms like line item, apparently. Yeah. yeah. Well, you know, I tell you, if, if those council members didn't know what they were voting on, then I'm not sure why they voted, because you shouldn't be voting on something you don't understand. And, you know, I'm not a lawyer, but it seems to me like it was pretty straightforward language. So That's kind of what we thought. <laughs> you yeah. know? Yeah. And, and, you know, and I understand that the city manager and other senior city officials, it's their responsibility to make, to analyze policy direction, to make recommendations, to tell council if they think that they're absolutely wrong about something. But in the end, as a citizen that votes, I think, you know, it's up to, I vote for council to make these decisions, to, to tell the city employees the direction the council is supposed to be going. And so, you know, they don't do that. Like, what does that mean for our democratic processes, you know? Mm-hmm. And what mm-hmm. does it mean in the future when it, when it, another city councillor disagrees with something that the mayor puts forward? Or if it's a man, are they going to be accused of sexism? If it's a woman, are they going to be afraid that there's going to be some other kind of personal attack? And so what does this mean for the whole democratic processes? And, you know... You have to have a council where people can disagree with each other and there's respectful debate. And it seems to me, you know, I thought we had that the first couple of years of this council. And now it just seems to be all, I don't know, like I didn't elect council members to all sing from a choir and sing the same tune for heaven's sakes. I elected them to act responsibly, to base their decisions 
on the merits of a particular policy or issue and not on the personality of the person bringing them forward. Right. Um, so it, it seems that one of the things that has, uh, that has frustrated you is the way that the court action was politicized in press conferences more so than the court action itself? I I think the reaction to the court action, yeah, was very politicized, very much so, yeah. Now, um, I think coming at it from the other side, I'm going to play devil's advocate here. Um, It was like within the first few weeks of... uh, city manager uh, Nikki Anderson's job that this that this dropped into her that dropped into her lap and that she had to deal with it so it was effectively one of the like she got to like meet everybody in the office and then she had to start dealing with this court action um i think uh the mayor made reference to some of the sort of online harassment that she has seen you know images that i don't think were connected to this um, this controversy itself, but you know, she referred to like seeing you know an image of her of a Photoshop. I'm assuming she didn't present it to council, but a Photoshop of her getting dragged behind a truck. Um, and I don't know what for. Who would choose to do this? We have no more details than that. But I think that it's widely understood that you know women in positions. Uh, like in decision-making positions are frequently subject to a lot of, you know, online harassment. Her inbox is probably a cesspool. Um, Mm. Do you think that perhaps this has kind of been overblown because everything is kind of like at a higher sort of level of sort of rhetoric and everything is more extreme and that, Perhaps there was like a bit of a knee jerk on the other side and everybody's knee jerking back and forth and it's making it hard to come back to like a place where they can talk. Yeah, I, I think there's probably a lot to that. And I totally understand what women, well, obviously not totally understand because I'm not a woman elected woman in a position of power, but I can sympathize with them and I can, I can just imagine what some of them are getting. So absolutely. And I think that social media, it's like we, we know that it's, it can be a real cesspool and it's a real problem. And I don't know how you solve that problem. Yeah. Um, so absolutely. And I think that all sides, from what I saw, that all sides um, got pretty carried away with the rhetoric, um, yeah. all points of view. But that's why I think at some point you need to say, that's it this has to stop. You know, the citizens of this city need this to stop because we have to have a good functioning council. And, you you know, you can't blame individual councillors for some of the comments that their follower, followers are making, you know, as vile or disgusting as those comments may be. Yeah. And and where does it stop? You know, you we've got elected people here. And I... Yeah. I just, I just see this whole thing is just spiraling into such a mess that I don't know how we come, how, how do we dig ourselves out of it? How do these counselors work together as a group mm. and make good decisions that are the best for the city? You know, they yeah. got two more years. Yeah. I, yeah, I was kind of hoping, like I wanted to ask you, do you have a, if you were in a situation where you had to resolve a conflict like this, do you have any ideas about what would be the first step? Like, what do we do from here? 
Uh, and I should say that tomorrow uh, there's a city council meeting. Now this is going to actually air after this happens, but um, we do know that the mayor is planning to make a statement about the letter that uh, your group submitted. Uh, she'll be doing it after tomorrow's council meeting. Um, so maybe a better way to phrase this would be, what are you hoping the mayor is going to say in response to you guys? Well, I hope she acknowledges that there's maybe been some um, overreaction on all parts, all sides, yeah. uh, and that somehow, and a, and a recognition that somehow they need to do something. And I don't know what the answer is, but something needs to be done so that they can work together as a group. Because you know, I think, as I said before, in the first couple of years, this council was pretty good at being able to disagree with each other, you know, and and yet have respectful debate. And but I. Something they have to do something in order to get back to that ability, and I don't know what it is. I don't know. Yeah. Do you I, think? Yeah. Sorry. Go on. No. I, go ahead. Uh, do you do you think from what you've seen that you have? Do you have hope that the mayor would be able to make a gesture that could sort of start to heal the rift here? Well, <laughs> I'm not confident from what I've seen. Um, I'm not confident from the way this the original motion was treated. Yeah. And I'm not confident. I'm not confident that she's, I hope she's able to take the high road and to act professionally and not continue to make this into a personal attack. But I'm not sure that I have that confidence. Yeah. Um, we're on 91.3 FM, CJTR, Regina Community Radio. We are the Queen City Improvement Bureau. And we're talking with De- Devin Anderson, one of the signees of a letter uh, defending uh, Councillors Don LeBlanc and uh, Councillor Andrew Stevens against uh, charges of uh, sexism in the way that they've um, approached their court action last year about homelessness money. Man, trying to summarize this in just a few words is really hard. It can't be done. Yeah. Uh, there were, uh, I think it was about 100 signees, I heard? Over 100, yeah. Over 100. And how did this come together? Um, I just found out about it by an email or a text or something, and somebody asked me if I wanted to sign this letter. And yeah. then I forwarded it on to a couple of other women that I knew might be interested, and they forwarded it on, and I think everybody did that. So it was just over a matter of a few days and by word of mouth, really. Right. And uh, there was a gathering outside City Hall. This letter was like handed off uh, in person. Uh, was that handed off to like the, uh, the the ambassador's desk or did you actually get to meet with a uh, city councillor or the mayor? No, just the desk down in the main yeah. city hall foyer. Right. What What is the mood of the people who were involved in this letter? How How's everybody feeling right now? Well, I... I... <laughs> I don't know if I can speak for everybody, but um, I know a couple of the people that have signed it were pretty disappointed with the direction everything's taken. And um, yeah, I think I'll leave it at that. It's it's very disappointing. Yeah, yeah. Because I know that there was there were a ton of people who showed up to council to defend the, inc- the, the inclusion of this money in the budget at budget time. And they spoke... It was the largest turnout of any budget I've ever seen. So um, there was a lot of sort of energy behind this. It must be a difficult time to see that that work to try and get a, a really strong, meaningful, substantial 
funding package, I go ahead for homelessness to have that, you know, turn into this uh, scandal, this like this spectacle, I guess. Yeah, it's 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 just a ridiculous fiasco when we should be thinking other things. And, you know, I think we all had felt pretty good last June or, you know, that something was maybe actually going to be accomplished, you know, an unanimous vote. And then for it just to disappear. And I just, again, I just think like, why, what, what happened? How can that possible? Yeah. And it is maddening because you mentioned that this, that there had been like a confirmation of the need for it to be included. And that was from this, this acting city manager who kind of like stepped back into his role as city clerk and said, sorry, the language of this motion is unequivocal. It has to appear in the budget. So he almost directed himself as city clerk. He directed himself as city manager to put this in. And then, you know, they hired somebody new and everything changed. Yeah. But, you know, I, I'd be surprised if somebody new would just make that decision on her own without mm-hmm. some fairly high level direction from somebody else along the way, because, you know, that's a pretty big, big decision to make. And in that sort of position as a senior public servant, surely you must understand that your role is not to directly go against the direction of the elected people that you your role is to make recommendations if you think they're full of that they're completely out to lunch. Yeah, you you're supposed to tell them that, but you don't get to decide. You're not yeah. the person who's been elected for that. And so I just I just really question like why 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 did this happen? You know where where did that notion that direction come from? Yeah. And if she did do it on her own, well, I I think that's a whole other issue. Yeah. Yeah. Sadly, this is all in the the realm of speculation. No answers have been yeah. furnished on, you know, the the actual like behind the scenes, how did we get to this at this position? Yeah. And likely we will never know. No. Yeah. No. no. Yeah. But I, I do think it's it's really unfortunate because um I think it's eroded the trust that a lot of people in this city have in their in mm-hmm. the council as a whole, you know, because how can you not become somewhat skeptical or cynical when you you see a unanimous vote and then all of a sudden, what, eight, six months later, eight of them decide to change their mind? Yeah, I think after, I mean, after the, you know, seeing council be in favor of, you know, a net zero emissions, you know, goal for the city, which then became reduced and probably is quietly being tucked away somewhere right now. And now the sort of the outright dismissal of, you know, the council's original vote. I I just feel, I think it's exactly as you said, there's, we don't really have a lot of reason to trust that anything that council says, which seems to address any of these issues will not simply be reversed or just, you know, sabotaged or something, you know, months later. And it's, uh, it's a little, it's demoralizing. I think it's very, it's very demoralizing. I agree. And I, and I think, you know, gee, it, it's the democratic process. And, you know, you can't get more basic and more something that a, a, a democratic situation that affects us more directly than our municipal level of government. And, you know, it's already hard to get people out to vote 
gee, we have a small turnout. Mm -hmm. And this is just going to make more people think, well, why would I bother? You know, and and that's the way you lose your democratic systems. And that may sound silly, but I believe that very much. Um, I want to end on ask, well, my last question would be about something that the mayor said, uh, and I may be taking it a little bit out of context here, but she did make reference here to, in defending council's record on what they have done to end homelessness, and what they have done to fight poverty in the city, uh, things like the, the temporary sh- or the, the temporary warming bus that they had, and now that's segued into they have a temporary shelter that they're setting up, and now they're going to that's going to segue into I think it's a forty bed. I don't know if they although I don't know if they know the number of beds in total, but a permanent uh, wellness center that would have shelter beds in it. Um, she made a reference to how, you know, not going the whatever tens of millions of dollars to end homelessness this year, as Councillor LeBlanc was demanding, she rejected that strategy, saying something to the effect of, we can't be governed by 300 people, sort of diminishing the number, like diminishing the crowd or putting a number on the crowd that is sort of demanding this action on homelessness to just a mere 300 out of the whatever 270,000 people in the city. Um, how do you how do you respond to this claim that this is actually like a small fringe group trying to draw, steer the city from the back seat, what you guys are doing? Yeah, and I, I don't know where she would get that from. You know, um, I think there's... I, think that most people in this city are very concerned about the fact that people are going homeless and um, that there's a lack of affordable housing. And I don't know if it's just, I certainly think there's more than just 300 people. And I also think that the numbers that the city did provide in the budget notes was really inflated. And I don't know, you know, to assume that you have that the solution to homelessness as an issue is to build what a new house for everybody that was in the homeless count. That's that's absurd. That's not the way that these things are solved. And, you know, so they had a temporary warming bus and a temporary shelter like great. But, you know. Do you go to heaven on those good works alone, for God's sakes? You know, come on. This is a pretty serious issue, and it's an ongoing issue, and we need to have a long-term vision for it. And you can't just do one or two things like that and pat yourself on the back and say, oh, well, I'm, you know, I don't need to do any more work on this. I think you hit on a key word there, or a key phrase, long-term vision. I think there needs to be a vision, and... What, Le- what LeBlanc and Stevens asked for was to inviting councillors in the city to share a vision. And it turns out they don't seem to have much of one. Um, yeah, and I, that's, I think that's it. I think they're not doing nothing on homeless, but there's no, but there's no real vision involved beyond just responding to public pressure right now. Yeah. Yeah. That's a good way yeah. of putting it. Yeah. I think we're extremely good at, Passing resolutions to kickstart plans. And I think we're really good at striking committees and uh, arm's length bodies that uh, can implement, uh, vi- uh, well, have meetings. 
but it does seem like when we get to the meeting where an actual number value has to be applied to something and that number value is big, uh, we tend to get cold feet. Yeah. Well, you know, you know what we need to do, Paul? What? We need to strike a committee right now to form an arm's length body to have some shared meetings about some numbers that don't want to get them too big, but we'll have some numbers. And, you know, I think one of the things that we need, to, one of the first items that we should put should be slippers at the top of our first agenda is slippers oh. so that we can like avoid this cold feet problem in future. <laughs> That's right. I, I think, I think you're absolutely right. Yeah. Well, and, uh, and, and some, and some blush for the, for those yellow bellies. <laughs> <laughs> I'm, I'm just, I'm just running with your metaphor. <laughs> well, thank you so much for joining us and for uh, walking mm-hmm. us through this. Okay. Well, really appreciate it. It's been interesting. (laughs) Well, thank you. Yes. All right. And on that note, we should go to the recorded Innovative Revenue Tools. There was a council meeting the day after we recorded this episode of the Queen City Improvement Bureau. As is tradition, after the meeting, the mayor took questions from the press. Several of those questions were around Mayor Masters' response to the letter that Devon and over 100 women signed in support of councillors LeBlanc and Stevens. Here is the whole of that section of the press scrum with Mayor Masters. Can I get you to respond uh, to the, the letter that was uh, delivered to your office last week, uh, signed by 100 women as non-binary individuals, basically condemning your comments? Can I get you to respond to that? In what, in what way would you like me to respond? Well... Okay, what are your thoughts on the the letter? You know, I I appreciate the opinion. I respect the opinion. Um, I I think that uh, we heard from, along that same line, heard from a number of individuals uh, with a focus on houselessness uh, during budget and during November and December and continue, frankly, that work. Um, I I respect the fact that they have, get to have that opinion. but I also respect the fact that I have an opinion and I don't, the notion that um, the deep concerns around houselessness are mutually exclusive of the treatment of council's employee, I, I, I don't agree with that notion that somehow they're mutually exclusive, specifically uh, to male members of the body of her employer who broke from council, um, who are in a position of power over her. Um, if I can quote the judge, using the blunt force of an application to the courts alleging breach of duty, I think as an employer that um, I think it would be reasonable to expect that that action would undermine her reputation in a new community, in a new role, and in her um, in her ability to be successful in the role. And so, um, my opinion of that hasn't changed. I I I, I don't agree with the lawsuit. Uh, still, um, I don't think the tactics of how we treat our employee are important. I don't think the way that we treat an an employee is really in some respects a matter of public opinion. Um, But I, again, deeply appreciate the concerns around the houselessness issue in our city and frankly that exists in every city across the country. And so I appreciate the work of the community-based organization, the first responders, social workers, the nurses. Um, 
those folks dealing with individuals with substance use disorder, like they have the gratitude of the city because those are really difficult jobs and they're very much one-on-one human service jobs. Um, and I appreciate the work of administration in terms of finding the temporary shelter. Uh, you know, the reports that we've got from Erica Bowden are, have been really favorable in terms of stabilizing and getting medical treatment. And I appreciate the work of the city in terms of finding a permanent emergency shelter and wellness center so that we can address those individuals and any that follow them in terms of assessing where they belong in the housing continuum, whether that be independent living and, and appropriate housing to um, 24-7 supportive care. And so there's a complexity to the issue that happens when health and safety is a concern versus needing a home to live in from a social assistance standpoint, but otherwise can do independent living. And so I think it's really complex. Um, and we're going to continue to do that work in collaboration with the provincial government and the federal government and community-based organizations, taking in the information and, and looking for those avenues where we can have success. And frankly, develop a housing supply or a shelter supply that actually meets the needs of the, of, of the folks in, in whatever avenue they are. I just want to follow up and clarify. So do you still believe that the, the lawsuit itself, like, that it was sexist, that, that there was tones of sexism in filing that lawsuit? Because that's what you said at the time. I, yeah, and I think I think my exact language was there was tones of sexism. In them. And so, and again, when it's two male members of council who had an alternative route, who clearly broke from council in that behavior or that tactic, um, they're two males in a position of power. And um, I think there's been some discussion around, you know, um, yeah, we frankly, we all experience privilege and power in, as an elected official or, or in senior executive leadership of the city. I think that's completely fair. But that doesn't mean we treat our employee in a way, especially two men. It's reasonable to assume that that undermines her reputation and it undermines her ability to be successful in a role in a new community. I just think that the attention it's garnered has been quite detrimental and um, to say a massive distraction would be an understatement from both the good work that's being undertaken as well as a massive amount of work that needs to be undertaken. And so I think when you have an employee, you always want to set them up for success. Uh, you provide feedback, you provide support and direction. I, I think that as an employer, that's, that's our job as a body of counsel. Do you plan to meet with the group that sent the letter? No, I, there are no plans underway to meet. No. no. And, and in fact, a number of them, as I said, have been in delegations before council before. Um, but, you know, as I said, I, I respect and appreciate their right to that opinion. And it's an opinion that, frankly, over the last two years, you know, in different ways we've heard and will continue to hear until we, you know, can actually tip the scales on addressing um, substance use disorder, domestic violence, and and, um, and food security, and all of the issues that you know the community safety and well-being entity is is looking to address. There, there was some mention uh, of potentially there being need for an internal HR type investigation um, if there was any kind of intimidation that occurred between counselors and administration. Uh, do you think that that's necessary? in order to make our city manager feel comfortable and our counselors feel comfortable? I think you're into HR personnel issues, which are confidential and the, the 
the methods that we have available to us um, are confidential. I, 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 I quite literally cannot speak of them. I, I think if there's a resolution or a finding that that, that would eventually be made public if, if that's um, what happens. But in the meantime, there's there's a process undertaken that I, I believe was supplied to uh, to CBC. But there's there's a process that needs to be undertaken and it's confidential. And we're back from Innovative Revenue Tools. Oh, those flew by. I know they did. Ooh. They did. Maybe we should get more. We should have. We should. We should get the station to have like entire hours of nothing but innovative revenue tools. Yeah, that would be awesome. Um, we do have. Uh, we do have like more stuff happening in this city that uh, we need to like consider in this meeting. Please, please tell me more about the stuff that is happening in the city. Sorry, I was stalling as I got my notes together. Oh, okay. Um, okay. So we had a council meeting uh, since our last meeting, our last mm-hmm. meeting, there was a council meeting. But this is fact checker Paul stepping in during the edit to note that it was in fact an executive committee meeting on February 15th and not a council meeting. That is all. And uh, now I don't know if you remember, but there was a budget that uh, happened at the end of last year, back in December. I have a vague recollection. Yeah. Now, a weird thing happened with that budget. It was passed, but it was not balanced. It was an unbalanced budget. You know, in the Cities Act is a thing that a city cannot do. Its operating budget must balance. But what we did is Councillor Brashani, you remember this. She said, I want $2.9 million in savings in this budget. I want you to bring it down so we can drop the mill rate increase. And so I want $2.9 million in savings. But Councilor Brashani had no idea where they were going to come from. So she just told administration to come up with $2.9 million in savings. Now, a responsible council, in some people's opinion, not mine, because I wanted this meeting to be over and I wanted the budget to be done so I could like <laughs> go to bed because it had gone on for a very long time. Um, but, res- but, you know, thinky people who think things would argue that a city council should actually have to go make the cuts themselves. That would be their job as a city council is to tell administration, what is the direction that we want you to go as an administration to make those cuts? And the only direction they gave administration was no cuts to frontline services. Pretty vague. So councils, so administration came back and said, we will do that. We, they basically created a line item that said $2.9 million in savings that do not affect frontline services. They put that in, I guess that would be the revenue side or the expenses side. I don't know how accounting works, but they basically added a sticky note that said $2.9 million in savings into so the budget. Do, do that's all how this, they balanced but, it. But with $3 million less. Okay. Yes. Right. Exactly. And the mayor defended this as basically, now she didn't describe it this way, but she basically described austerity economics. She said that we are going to cut your budget by $3 million and that will inspire you to innovate, to find those savings. New city manager, Nikki Anderson said, yes, that will cause us to innovate. And so did our CFO. Now, CFOs typically, thinky people tell me, typically 
when they're told just find $2.9 million of savings in the budget, they usually say, Hey, hang on a second. We spent months making this budget for you. This is the most razor thin budget we could come up with. We can't cut it anymore unless you tell us where to get this money from. And I've seen CFOs at this city do that very thing. Our CFO, for some reason, didn't do that this time. And he said, sure. And he pulled out his, his yellow pad of sticky notes, wrote oh, 2.9 oh. plus $2.9 million, stuck it in the budget. And then we got to go home. So I was happy. So Man, this- I, sh- I, sh- I should have come in like right at the last moment and started asking for things because clearly they just wanted, they were in a mood to be like, oh, yeah, 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 we'll do that. Go home. Yeah. Now, of course, in the interests of transparency and openness, because that's what this council is all about, not doing things in back rooms or, you know, shuffling things back onto administration to do in a back room. This council is all about transparency and openness and good thing too. And that means that we got a budget update at our last council meeting where they explained to us Ooh. in great detail what they're going to be doing to save $2.9 million. So this um, is February, by the way, February after a budget was passed in December that we're getting this update that effectively would balance the budget that was passed unbalanced. So you might want to get comfortable because I'm going to have to run through all the many things the the administration is going to do. I'm already comfortable. In great detail. Aiden, can you bear it? I can bear the detail. Okay. So the first item is travel and training. An approximate 25% reduction in travel and training budgets that equals $500,000. Okay, that uh, you know that's one of the that's not not a surprising cut. Travel travel is an expense that is all usually gets cut first. Yep. I, I expect to hear about vacancy management at some point as well. Oh, I'll jump ahead. Uh salaries and benefits. Salary and benefit savings through vacancy management. There we go. $622,000 worth. Uh, a, a painless way uh, on the face of it, but of course that will it will add responsibilities and duties to existing staff, mm-hmm. probably. Right. Uh, so then we've also got consulting, an approximate twenty percent reduction in consulting budgets, four hundred and twenty-five thousand dollars. Good. <laughs> Good. Uh, then what do we have here? Uh, operational efficiencies, seven hundred and eighty-four thousand dollars. Uh, examples include civic fleet maintenance, fleet ratcheting, reducing the number of fleet assets. And then the final item is leverage alternative funding sources. Fund vision. Si- oh, God. What? Uh, hang on. This is like, I have to like move my glasses so I can even read this. Fund vision zero capital program from automated speed enforcement accumulated revenue account. ASE program funds can be used to fund traffic safety improvements and initiatives in the city, $600,000. I'm not sure I quite understand. Uh, Uh, I'm just just not sure what that means. I think they're taking, I guess there's like accumulated revenue in an account um, that we've been gathering from automatic speed enforcement. So like uh, cameras. ASE, right. Yeah. And so that money would be coming to us via the province. And uh, I guess we haven't been spending it. So they're going to, they're going to use it to fund traffic and safety improvements for free, basically. Um, So so yeah, this all adds up to $2.931 million. Uh, So yeah, great detail, five line items. 
Okay, I expect a little more detail, but okay. Uh, yeah. So I, I don't know if you recall uh, when Senator Masters was uh, campaigning, mm-hmm. one of the things she was very interested in doing was finding efficiencies yeah. in the city and, and cutting costs. And I recall it just never seemed to happen because it's a great deal of work and also you're coming up against entrenched bureaucracy. Yeah. So getting buy-in from the city to change its the way it does things, you know, is probably proved tough. But you know, you know what makes it a lot easier when you yeah. just when a counselor just says find three million, yeah, and everybody agrees, then then it has to happen. You're right. Uh, Mayor Masters did campaign on that. She campaigned on fifteen percent right. in operational efficiencies, which was, I mean, this is not fifteen yeah. percent, but not even close. No, but I I I, I feel that this is you know. Finding a different way to to sort of get forging a different path, a shorter yeah. path, a, a blunter path. Things that I'm not clear on, and we talked about this back in December. Uh, the mayor has started up an efficiency office. That's not what it's called. It's called like the improvement office or something like that, hey, which I think is biting our style a bit. <laughs> I, how how come we haven't heard of this? We are the Improvement yeah. Bureau. Well, I guess they're the Improvement Office. So Yeah, I oh. think that's what it's called. It might have a better name. Um, but yeah, so she started up this new office, which is costing hundreds of thousands of dollars, of course, but, uh, to as, put as, together. As these things do, yeah. Yeah, and it is supposed to sort of manage uh, constant efficiency, right? Constant efficiency mm-hmm. savings. So what, I, what I'm not clear on, though, is, is these, this $2.9 million in savings, is it going to be used on the, like, it, will it be put against the account of this new office as part of the efficiencies they were supposed to achieve? Or is this $2.9 million of new savings in addition to what the efficiency office is supposed to be finding? And I'm not clear on that. And nobody I, has actually mentioned or asked about that. I feel like it's the latter. I feel like this 2.9 million is just like, let's clear up 2.9 million um, and kill the not raise the mill rate bird and yeah. the cut cut the budget bird. Uh, yeah. you know, cut cut cities, cut some stuff in the city operations bird. Yeah, I don't know. I I I'd actually like put money on this two point nine million dollars being included when they uh okay. to pad up to pad up the accounts for the efficiency office at the end of the year to justify the whatever seven hundred thousand dollars. I don't know, I'm making up a number, but it's some absurd amount of money that they have to spend to like they have to get new staff for this office, they have to buy new software, of yeah. course. I'm sure there's like some really nice desks. And um I yeah, I would not be surprised if this 2.9 wasn't included in an efficiency line item and maybe gets parsed down more than that. But the the, the one that I'm like really, really curious about is this uh the vacancy management, because that's not a that's not a term I'm super familiar with. It's um, it's quite it's fairly straightforward. It means that, you know, positions that are lost to um, you know, uh, retirement or, you know, or people finding other jobs generally, instead of filling them, they, they, they will instead look to spread the responsibilities, uh, of that position out. And if done, if done carefully, you can reduce, you can reduce the amount of staff without, without placing undue stress on, on other workers. Um, if you work in a place where there's already a lot of stress on your, on your workers, then vacancy management is, can be a bit of a nightmare, uh, yeah. but that's that. That's a, that's a, 
what vacancy management is in essence, uh, as far as I, I, I understand it. I kind of have a feeling that there used to be another name for this, that this is like the latest mm-hmm. name for this technique to keep right. uh, basically just to like not hire people for jobs yeah. that exist. That, that's essentially what it is. People leave yeah. the job. You just don't hire. Yeah. You, you just don't fill the position. Yeah. A place I worked at, I did that for a while to reduce its budget and uh, had to, but had to reverse course or reverse course at some point and began to, began to hire more more staff again but right anyway. see and i feel like this is why we never have quorum vacancy management yeah, yeah. ever since the leopard got promoted we've, we haven't got anybody to fill its position right yeah. i find it i it kind of burns me that the leopard actually has like a better paying job than us now and a nicer office yeah i mean i don't begrudge the leopard it's a great great leopard um yeah. and uh you know and and honestly i Seemed, he seemed to complete more tasks than we did, yeah. uh, you know, on a monthly basis. So probably deserving, but still. Yeah. Yeah. And I always found that begrudging him anything was a perilous enterprise. That you, yeah. He'd gnaw on your face a little bit if you a little bit. seemed a little begrudgy in yeah. a day. Yeah. And if you, you know, so I, I didn't begrudge him when he, when he, you know, chewed on our faces and took our sandwiches. No, absolutely not. Yeah. Well, he was our boss, so it's exactly yeah, that's true. We had to we had to we had to do what the leopard said. Yeah, so. I think though in this case, because clearly this means we're not getting anybody else to fill out our ranks and get not us to even, quorum. I bet not even an intern. No, no, those days, those high flying days in the bureau are long behind us. No, but I would be curious to know. This is six hundred twenty-two thousand dollars. I don't know, like, how many jobs is that? Is that like? 62 jobs you you can get for that that's a lot of people to not have at the city oh let's let's say they're well let let us say that they're uh i don't know what what, like a good salary of say fifty thousand. okay which you know i don't know uh, that's what you get paid out in the real world these days but well i mean probably probably a little more maybe 60 i don't know you know, okay. between 40 let's say these are lower level positions between okay. 40 and 60,000 dollars in salary right so that that's where you would that's where you would you know maybe 10 to 20 positions sure. i don't know what the the staffing complement is of the city i don't know how much pressure we would put on it but even if there are two just maybe say four fairly high level management positions would probably yeah. be covered handily by 620 grand okay Okay, because I'm curious to know where they're thinking about not where where they're thinking about deploying their vacancy management, because one of the things they've said is that it will never happen. It's not going to happen on the frontline staff. So transit operators, for instance, are being hired when they retire or, you know, move on to another job. But these are the kinds of details that I kind of was expecting from this report was some indication of what departments are going to be facing, uh, you know, vacancy management, because this gives you a sense of where uh, administration's priorities are, right? right? Like if it's, if, you know, if it's all the sustainability office, but roads goes untouched, mm-hmm. that tells us something. I think, yeah, I think we'll find out. I think we'll really discover where the city's priorities lie once yeah. we see where specifically this money is coming out of. Yeah. My, my worry is that they're going to re, they're going to hit, uh, 
are you familiar with the the coconut jpeg uh no okay the coconut jpeg is a file in the game team fortress 2 okay it is a jpeg of a coconut right um on on a plain background plain gray white background it doesn't link to anything there is no bit of code that refers to this coconut jpeg in any way shape or form but if you remove it the game won't play no one knows why or what relationships exist between all the layers of code right that means this one stupid jpeg image of a coconut means the difference between the game working and not working wow so and I'm you're worried, worried. That, they'll, that they'll take out the coconut jpeg and, and then and that's and it this, that's will, it for team fortress regina exactly the city will fall apart and uh and, and you know and and the terrorist forces will invade because oh we'll be God. undefended uh i don't know that's terrifying but, I know it is, is, but I, what I, I'm, I'm being very, I'm being quite flippant, but what I mean is that in something as complex as a city, it's, you know, it's hard to know. It's hard to like pull out a block and without seeing yeah. unexpected effects, especially when you're not doing this as a result of like careful planning. You're basically being told to find efficiencies like within what, Jan- December, like two months. And a lot of that is vacation. Yeah. <laughs> like, my yeah. God. And coming out of a pandemic, when you don't really know mm-hmm. how many people or what positions you need, uh, an interesting revelation that came out of this meeting was uh, Mayor Nikki, Mayor, uh, City Manager <laughs> Nikki Anderson, uh, referred to how these decisions are being made about where the vacancy management will be deployed, and she talked about how it's very centralized. She's like, and she referred to centralization a lot in a lot of different contexts that decisions aren't being made willy-nilly across the organization different departments that they're being brought back basically to her desk is what it sounds like so when they're trying to decide what positions not to fill or presumably which positions to fill because um i think that's how this kind of works uh it's going through her desk now this was being pitched as a more efficient way to do things because you understood how things worked and you could better align things with city uh you know administration priorities I find it. Wait a minute. So yeah. we're getting we're getting we're getting someone who's already sort of shown a penchant for autocracy and 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 interpreting things as personal attacks. Like now now is talking about having everything come across her desk. Yeah, yeah, and it's mm. it's curious because under the last two, possibly more city managers, I'm not sure, uh, there was an effort, uh, certainly under Glenn Davies, an effort to flatten the organization and distribute decision-making powers across departments for efficiency reasons, so that everything didn't have to come across his desk and the the organization could be more nimble and uh, faster to react to things because the departments, but now there's this whole concern about the departments are their own little silos they're not working together. And so we're back to everything goes to one desk. Mm, okay. Now, I don't know how much, the, now I'm just getting this from one meeting talking about this budget update. I don't know how widespread this is across the, you know, the portfolios that she's considering, but the word centralization was used an awful lot uh, in this meeting. So I'll be curious to see if that uh, is the, the new style, the new style efficiency at the city of Regina. Hey, I got a... Sorry. Oh, no, I was just going to say, I got a bit to play for you if you want. Sure, sure. I was going to say the, the efficiency style of like 
having one person decide everything. Anyway, yes, let's yeah. see, let's play play me something. I'm uh, okay. I'm this hoping is, it's good music. Uh no, oh. um, it is not. Oh. The uh, counselor Shannon's the kidneyac uh, had some had a question after uh, this was after the budget update was done. And I wanted to play a little bit of that for you. Great. I think I have this queued up. Um, I do appreciate that. Um, I think actually what would be useful for me um, is to have more detailed information in general, not right now, like through a list, but I would appreciate um, whatever level of detail of information that, that you have on this um, would certainly be useful for me. And um, the reason being with that, you know, uh, $2.9 million is not a small efficiency savings. It is our responsibility as elected officials to ensure that, that we've, like, we're responsible for approving the budget. The way that we did it this year was a bit different. And, but we are accountable for these efficiencies ultimately. And, and people are going to be asking us for more information. I don't feel that I have adequate information if somebody calls me and asks me, like, where are these efficiencies coming from? So our job as counselors is not to get down into the weeds and look at line by line, detail by detail, the construction of the budget. If we had to do that, we'd be here forever and never do anything else. Our job is to look at the way in which budgets are made. We've got an internal auditor who will help us identify any gaps. Um, I think the answer, if a constituent phones us and says, where are you receiving internal efficiencies? I think that's an answer that matters simply to be referred to the administration. But for us to have that level of detailed information, I think goes beyond the scope of our responsibility as counselors. It's too far down into the weeds. Okay. Um, so if I if I could, since we've actually literally talked about weeds at council, I think the I think the concern is appropriate. My question to Ms. Sanderson is this: If there are general questions and you seem perfectly happy to provide details, would it be better if we just asked you those questions? You provide uh, a summary of them for the council meeting where this has to be approved, or do you want to go through the details that council asks at, at committee? What would be the most appropriate and what would be the easiest for administration? I think if there's specific questions, ask them. And I actually really appreciate your example about weeds because um, that's frankly one I would never, ever, ever, ever change and say that it does not impact the resident experience. All right. So that's where I think we should end it. So I wish I could write dialogue that good. Um, I would no, like more. So that was no, talking about weeds. Yeah, that was Councillor Zakidniak followed by Councillor Hawkins, and then Deputy Mayor, Chair of the the meeting, uh, Councillor Stevens, followed by City Manager Nikki Anderson. And it's like I would like some more detail. That's getting too into the weeds. We actually talk about weeds. Weeds is a great example. I would never cut that. That's beautiful writing right there. I, I agree. I agree. I, I, lo I like the I like the weed centric uh, metaphor. Yeah. They, uh, wh whoever they've got for the screenwriter for for these meetings, uh, give them a raise, um, yeah. or fire them and don't hire anybody for, you know, in the in the for vacancy management. Yeah. Um, yeah. Make them actually, improvise their council meetings. God damn it. <laughs> 
Exactly. Uh, just give them general direction. Uh, actually, what I, I kind of appreciate in that clip, sort of the different philosophies of, of what it means to, to actual, you know, relation, relationship between uh, elected officials and, and city administration there. Yeah. One wanting detail, one wanting seemingly nothing to do with detail at all. Um, and, and, and then Stevens actually saying, well, what, what do you think, city manager? Uh, that, I don't know, just feels, it feels like a little, uh, I don't know, it's like a little D and D party with their yeah. different approaches to slaying the beast. Yeah. Yeah. Um, uh, not, 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 sorry, not that. Anderson or, or, or city administration is a beast. <laughs> no, 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 no. Part, a party member. Party member. Okay. Yeah. yeah, yeah. <laughs> the, um, later in this meeting, uh, counselors Bershani and uh, Nelson weigh in on this and they're both like, oh, we finally have an administration who's doing great work, who's doing exactly what we want, giving us the savings we want. This is getting too into the weeds. I agree with counselor Hawkins. We don't need another report on that. That's just like throwing too much work on administration. This was Councilor Bershani's argument that this would be too much work for administration to provide a report on what they're actually doing. And, you know, I'd like a report and it would be the number of undertakings that Councilor Bershani has asked for, for reports on details of what administration are doing. Like Councilor Bershani is one of the worst defenders at council for demanding uh, reports as undertakings. And all of a sudden, the people, Nelson, Brashani, Hawkins, who are usually like asking for a lot more detail and are, you know, grilling administration uh, to be more specific about what they're doing. Right. All of a sudden, they're like, oh, manana, baby, we, we got this ace. We don't need any more. We've got bigger fish to fry. Oh, yeah, we, we pulled this fish out of the weeds. Now we got to fry it. Right. Um, we don't have time for for all these weedy things now. Yeah, yeah. no, uh, Hawkins was always really good at uh, at asking for more and more detail or referring things back to to administration. Yeah. But I guess when you're just throwing numbers at a budget without any specifics, yeah. I guess I guess now we don't need any detail. Right. Yeah. All we we got our two point nine million dollars. We got our balanced budget. We don't need to know how that sausage is made. Which people? Basically, are, is this budget's balance going to be happening on the backs of? Gee, so. I wonder. Uh, yeah, this is this is so strange. Like I've, I've, like we've been doing this show for some years now. Yeah. I've never seen council just go so off the deep end as yeah. this. Like just do so many strange things. Like I, I think I don't know if it was like the pandemic or you know the actual progressive legislation or Le, or LeBlanc riling up you know. Well, you know, uh, petrochemical companies over the sponsorship thing. But, yeah. But this version of council has lost its collective nut. Yeah. It's like they jumped the shark with the 2020 <laughs> election. Maybe they should fire the writer. Yeah. Our next city manager is going to be Ted McGinley. <laughs> like, oh, they're about to cancel the entire city. Yeah. 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 Anyways, we are pretty much out of time here. I do. Oh, yes. We are very much out of time. All right. I figured. All right. Well, in that case, I I move to adjourn the meeting. I second that motion. 
Uh, motion is passed. Uh, meeting is adjourned. You've been listening to the Queen City Improvement Bureau at 91.3 FM CGTR, Virginia Community Radio, tuned into the community. Uh, we are broadcast from 7 to 8 p.m. on Thursdays and rebroadcast on Monday afternoons from 3 to 4 p.m. Your hosts are Paul DeShan and Aiden Morgan, music by Guidewire. Uh, we are also found on cjtr.ca. Uh, and, of course, uh, QueenCityIB.com. And uh, we can reach us on our Twitter, uh, QueenCityIB. Um, what else? I think that's it. There's uh, there's music and programming coming up. Enjoy. It's Thursday. Just what more could you want? Keep on improving, Regina. Mm-hmm.